0: Hello, welcome to Informative Conversations podcast show. This month's podcast, we're going to be talking about the importance of preparing for family care. My guest today is attorney Cindy Nelson, the founder of Nelson Elder Care Law. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you, Jacqueline. It's great to
1: be here. Thank
0: you for having me. Oh, sure. Thank you for accepting my invitation. This is a very important time in our history. What we're going to talk about today can be used for the rest of our lives. So, Cindy, I'm going to start off by asking this question for my listeners, the same question I ask you. What does elder care law have to do with
1: me? (laughs) (laughs) That is a great question. Um, I joke because my mother tells me that she does not need an elder care (laughs) law attorney because she's not elderly and she's not committed a crime. (laughs) Why does she need an elder law attorney? So it's a great question. And Jacqueline, it's actually just an area of law that they've termed as elder law. But everybody automatically thinks that that is just for older people. Now, a lot of my clients are aging, but it isn't just for people that are getting older. Most people have heard of estate planning attorneys And an estate planning attorney is responsible for making sure that the assets you have while you're alive transition to who you want them to go to your beneficiaries after you die. And they try to make it so that you have the least amount of taxes that you need to pay on those assets. So we do that, but we do something in addition to that, that is before you die. We Mm -hmm. focus on if you become ill, which happens to many of us, then does someone have the legal authority to do what they need to do to take care of you legally and medically? Do they have access to the finances And are there any benefits that we could help you qualify for that will make sure that you spread your money out to last as long as possible? And then we also look at how do you avoid probate court because it's a lengthy legal process that costs quite a bit of money. And how do things easily transition to your beneficiaries with the least amount of taxes? So not only do we do what an estate planning attorney does, but we also do a lot of things before you would ever get to an estate planning attorney.
0: So right now we're in COVID-19 and there are five things that we need. And so I want
1: you to talk about those five things. Okay. And uh, these are five things that everybody over 18 years of age needs. So I don't want you to think that you got to be old or that I'm talking about just old people need this because it's anybody over 18 needs these things. And COVID has just made it so much more prevalent on a medical side, the consequences of not having it. So the first one is called an advanced directive for healthcare. It's also known as a healthcare power of attorney. And what that does is allows us to choose somebody that we want to make medical decisions for us if there's ever a time that we can't make our own. I like to have a primary person and also a backup person because things happen. I call them curveballs of life and we all get them. So we want to be prepared for as many of those as possible. Now, that advanced directive for healthcare, the person that we choose. Is going to be able to make decisions over our entire body. Mm -hmm. Everything that has to do medically with our body. So, what treatment are we going to get? What treatment are we not going to get? Where are we going to get it? All of those things are the authority of someone that we give this advanced directive for healthcare the um, authority to, to make decisions for us. But it's only good if we can't make our own decisions. So it's not good right away. Okay, and so
0: let me ask you, you said uh, one person, can it be two people of
1: both primary? It can be, I don't like that though, because then two people have to agree. And we know that when there's a medical emergency with someone we love, that there's a lot of emotion And I don't want something to be stopped or held up because two people can't agree. And a lot of times, if they can't agree, then you have to go to court, which kind of, you know, just negates everything that we're trying to do. So I like one decision maker at a time. Okay. All right. The next document or legal tool is called a living will. It can be part of the advanced directive for healthcare, but I like for it to be separate because the living will says, if I am ever in a terminal state with no chance, no way that I'm ever gonna get better and something is keeping me alive, the living will says, I want that something stopped. So pull the plug, so to speak. And everybody that I've talked to knows whether they want the plug pulled or not. Right. And it's so much easier on a family if they're the ones that are just following mom or dad's wishes, or if I'm following my husband's wishes, it's not something that I am deciding I'm doing this because this is what they wanted, Mm -hmm. where if they have to make the decision, it's very difficult for people to live with that for the rest of their lives. And rightfully so, I'll tell you about a situation where it was a brother and sister that were, um, the sister was the older one, she was in her early thirties, the brother was in the late twenties. And mom had some significant medical thing happen. And I don't know if it was a car accident or an illness or what, but mom was on life support. Mm -hmm. And so these two very young people needed to make the decision about, do they pull the plug or not? The doctor said they didn't think there was any way that she was going to recover Mm -hmm. from the state that she was in, that she was going to continue to be in a vegetative state. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so they did not make this decision lightly. They spent several days and they hashed it through and they finally did make the decision and they decided that it would be best to pull the plug for mom. And so they went in, they said their goodbyes, and while they were there, they had the plug pulled. Well, mom didn't die right away. And so I always thought that when you pulled the plug, somebody died immediately or within the next few minutes, but they did not. And so mom actually lived several days. And these kids were going through such torment because then what do you do? Did you make the wrong decision by pulling a plug? Do you plug her back in? You know, you don't know. Right. And so at that point, I just decided that everybody needs to make this decision for themselves. None of us need to make it for anyone else. Right. So that's a living will. I know people that have had to make
0: that decision. And it was very hard for them, even though it was the best decision, it was the right decision. The fact that they had to make that decision, it weighs on them for years. It takes years yeah. to get over it. And, and even for those like myself that say, pull the plug, even that person having to make a decision to pull that plug to honor my request, even though they're honoring my request, it's still tough. So yeah. it's, it's important yeah. to have it.
1: Yep, that's a good point. Thank you, because everybody I know that's had to make it also has uh, really been haunted by it for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And then the third tool that people need is called a HIPAA authorization. And with a HIPAA authorization, we all sign one when we go to the doctor. So back in the 90s, the government decided that all of our medical information information was highly secretive and privileged information and that our doctors could not share that with anybody that we did not specifically give authority for them to share it with which Mm -hmm. okay I understand that and then doctors subsequently get fined hundreds of thousands of dollars if they talk to somebody that they don't have approval to talk to so obviously they don't wanna to talk to anybody unless they have this HIPAA authorization. But the one that you sign when you go to the doctor is only good for that doctor. Oh. And so I know that I'm gonna meet new doctors in the right. future right. that I don't know yet today. And I might not be able to sign one of those. So I just don't want any doctor to ever have any kind of problem talking to my family members about what's going on with me. Oh, okay. So I want everyone to have a general HIPAA authorization uh-huh. so that there's nothing that's going on in the future that's gonna impact that one way or the other. People that are making decisions can get information from the doctors. Oh,
0: okay. And so uh, something you said, because when I go to the doctor, I have to sign one of these forms. And now I'm listening to what you said because because of your statement that you said you want everyone to have a general HIPAA, I realized that every doctor I go to, I have to sign one of these. But yeah. if I have a general one, then would I not have to do that?
1: Well, those doctors still like for you to sign their specific one. They like to have their own rules around it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're in a situation where you're incapable Uh capacitated, now they're covered because you do have a general one. Okay. All right. When we think about COVID today, it makes these medical documents and tools so much more valuable Mm. because when we go into the hospital, nobody can go in there with us. Right. And usually if you're ill enough to be admitted to the hospital, you are too ill to be your own advocate. Right. So you want someone else to have authority to get information, test results, talk with doctors about options and be able to make decisions for you, even if they aren't there in the room with you. So these are much more critical now than they've ever been. So
0: let's say I do not have a general HIPAA. Well, I don't want to say me, but someone doesn't have a general HIPAA. (laughs) And let's just use COVID. And they they have a spouse in the hospital and they can't go in there with them because that's my spouse. Can't the doctor talk to my spouse or my child? Can't the doctor talk to me?
1: Well, so with a child... The child, they probably would as long as the child's under 18. Mm -hmm. With the spouse and COVID, they probably would now, but that is still um, a violation of HIPAA if they talk to your spouse without Mm -hmm. having a signed authorization. So if you called up, I know that you have a child over 18. Yes. So if you called up Michael's doctor Mm -hmm. and asked for information about his medical situation, even though Michael is your child, that doctor will not give you that information.
0: Now, this brings me to something else. (laughs) These five things, and I know we have um, more to uh, get to. We've gone to three, right? We have two more to get to, but now my child is 18. So I have a living will, but my child doesn't and my child's not married. So since he is 18, do I need to get something like this so that I will be able to speak on his behalf or why? Wow. Yes.
1: Yes. Just because you brought him into the world doesn't mean that you get to make medical decisions for him or financial decisions after he's 18. You have to have the legal documents in order to do that for him. Yeah, I just
0: think that's really young for them not to allow me to do that. 18, (laughs) I I could even understand if it was 21, but 18, I think that's a little young. He's an adult. He could do anything he wants to at 18. Yes, and and I get that, but I'm talking (laughs) about me to be able to have privy to his information as far as medical or makes decisions or make medical decisions for him at 18?
1: I don't make the laws. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right, let's go to the next one. The next one, then number four is a financial power of attorney. And again, everybody over 18 needs one because we think that people are allowed to make financial decisions for us if we can't make our own. But I will tell you that they are not Mm -hmm. able make those even if you're married your spouse is not able to make financial decisions for you and this becomes quite shocking to most people let me tell you how it works if my husband and I are both on a joint checking account if I'm incapacitated yes he can go and he can do things with that checking account right if I have my own checking account and he's not on there As my husband, he still has no authority to get into my individual checking account or any asset that I have that is only in my name. Wow. And today, since many of us have like a 401k or some retirement thing that can only be in one person's name, then the other person can't get into it. And so a lot of times what I'll hear when I'm talking to families about this is, but I am the beneficiary. Right, right. That doesn't kick in until he dies. So the beneficiary doesn't mean anything as long as he's alive. So if something happens, he gets into a car accident and he becomes incapacitated without a financial power of attorney, I can't get into any of that money. But it's even broader than that. Wow. In that I can't talk to the cable company if it's in his name. They will not talk to me. Right. Okay. If he's getting $200 a month in the NFL channel, and now he's not going to be at home watching TV anymore because he's, you know, in some kind of community and he can't watch TV anymore. I can't get rid of that. Wow. If he's got a cell phone, I can't do anything with that. And so it's so much broader than people realize. Okay, now I'm, I'm going to
0: say something. Since this is in his name and I can't do anything with, let's say that $200 a month NFL cable bill. Yeah. And will they c- come after me if I just don't pay it? I mean, they won't let me get his money. They won't mm-hmm. let me turn it off. So they shouldn't expect me to pay it. Is that going to bother my credit because I'm uh,
1: his spouse? Well, they could potentially put a lien on your house that both uh, of you do Wow. But another thing is so that a lot of times when we're married, we own the house together. husband right. and wife's name on the house. Now with a bank account and its joint, they could get into the bank account and do things that they might need to do with that. But with the house, it takes both of us to sign before the house can be refinanced Or um, sold or anything like that. So if he can't sign anymore and I don't have a financial power of attorney, then I can't sell our house until I get that authority from the court. Or unless he passes. Unless he passes. Wow. And if when he passes, he has a will that says it comes to me.
0: No, 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 no. No, this is, the house is in both of our names. This is my spouse. We've been living in this house for 25 years. My name has been on this uh, loan for 25 years. What do you mean it doesn't, unless he, talk more
1: about that. <laughs> and I see that you're as surprised as many other people. Mm-hmm. And so in the state of Georgia, and mm-hmm. I can't speak for everywhere, so I don't know where all your audience is, But in the state of Georgia, everything does not automatically go to your spouse when you pass away. It actually goes to your spouse and your children, no matter what age your children are. So if my spouse passes away and we have four children, I get a minimum of one third. So one third of what he owns would go to me. So in the case of the house, I would have my half of the house. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about his half of the house. One third okay. of his half goes to me. The other two thirds is split between the four children. So now I own the house. I'm the majority owner, but I own the house with the kids. For the kids, kids are not right. right. What did you say? I I'm sorry. What did it, you say?
0: I said it doesn't feel right, does it? And no, and it's not right, but my, okay, it's the law, but just because it's the law doesn't make it right. <laughs> this, this is really concerning because the sad part is, at first, I, I just want to say thank you again for doing this because the sad part is these are the details. This is what Uh, um, um, Nelson elder care law is about the details that we don't know about so thank you again because I'm trying to wrap my brain around what you just said (laughs) because when did that law change because even coming up when I was growing up it was just assumed that it's husband and wife And it was theirs. When did the, I've never heard that part of it belongs to the children. The children are grown and gone. So I never heard that the father, let me give you just an example. I have a a friend, a friend. There are six children. The mom and dad have been married for 60 years. And you're telling me that should that father pass, that house belongs to the mom and, and all the children?
1: If they're in the state of Georgia and the father passes without a will, yes.
0: But that will has to, does that will have to say that the house goes to my wife? Yes. Can it be included in a, in a, what we call a general statement or an overall statement that says everything that, that is mine belongs to my wife?
1: Can they do that? Leave everything that you own to your spouse. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah, that's you have to have something legal that says that. You can't just verbalize it, it needs to be written down and witnessed and notarized. A lot of people are surprised by that. So I am
0: very surprised. Okay, that's good information. All
1: right. So you want to make sure that you have a will. But we were talking about a financial power of attorney, so this is a good segue to a will. In that if you don't have a will, the state of Georgia has laws about how your assets will be distributed. But they're not usually the way that people think they are. A will allows you to choose someone to be the executor or the manager of the will to make sure that your wishes are implemented the way you want. And you get to identify what your wishes are. Who do you want to inherit from you? But if you don't have a will in the state of Georgia... Georgia has laws about who is going to inherit from you. And -hmm. so if I'm married and I don't have a will, and let's say I have one child, then between the child and my spouse, they split everything Mm 50-50. If I have two or more children, then my spouse gets at least one third and my children split the other two thirds. So that isn't the way that most people think that it goes, and they're under the assumption that it automatically passes to the spouse. So that's a good reason to have a will, because then you get to pick who it goes to. Hello, listeners.
0: Last year, I was introduced to the most profound health technology in the world today, redox cell signaling molecules. Redox signaling molecules are native to our bodies. Every 10 years, we make about 10% less of these molecules. For the first time ever, we can refuse, replenish, and restore ourselves with more of these powerful molecules, helping our bodies move towards health and vitality. To learn more about the most significant health breakthrough that exists today and discover why people are feeling better, why athletes are performing better, and why people are beginning to look younger, visit our website, www.informativeconversations.com and provide your contact information. And now back to Informative
1: Conversations podcast. So let me recap the five things. All right. An advanced directive for healthcare, a living will, a HIPAA authorization, a financial power of attorney, and a last will and testament.
0: Thank you. I also want to let our listeners know that Nelson Eldercare has a YouTube channel. And on Wednesdays, it's a question
1: answer. You have a specific subject. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yes, we can. So we've been doing some um, live, going live with YouTube where, um, so I practice with my son, Joshua. And so he's been the one on there Although um, I did record one earlier today, as a matter of fact, Mm. and so we're just trying to share information for us. Our objective is to get the knowledge out there because there's so many things that people do not know they don't understand. And I don't know how anyone would know if they didn't do this every day. And so it's like you said, Jacqueline, the details. We want to make sure that you understand all of the details of how things are going to work. And if you understand it and it works that way and that's what you want, then that's good. But uh, so every week we've had different topics and Josh has been talking on Wednesday afternoon. It's live with an attorney. And so you can ask questions or, you know, whatever you want to do. It's something that's recorded so you can listen to it a few times if you need to go back and rewind, like something right. that you were just saying, what? That doesn't sound right. right. You can hear <laughs> and, it that's do. and that's what I do um, <laughs> when I'm
0: listening to him. I said, wait, what? I could have been doing what? And so, <laughs> so that that is a, a, a good lead for me. I want to tell our listeners that you and I have history. We worked for a technology company and you were my boss and you became a lifelong friend. But one of the things we talk about here on Encouraging Parenting Podcast is what do we do after the children are gone, after they've left the nest? I want you to tell our listeners how you got into being an attorney. (laughs)
1: well thank you Jacqueline and thank you for the friendship I am so glad that we've been lifelong friends yes yes likewise same to you thank you and so I never planned on being an attorney most people ask me well did you always want to be an attorney and so you worked in technology and then you know you finally decided to go back to school and the answer is no I never wanted to be an attorney (laughs) Um, but I was looking for a greater purpose in my life I was working with technology and I'd done that for a long time and I loved it, but I felt like there was probably something different that God put me on the earth to do. And I was exploring different things, not knowing what exactly I was supposed to do. My son, Joshua, had always wanted to be an attorney since he was probably five years old. And he was studying for the LSAT test, or he should have been studying, (laughs) but he's one that hasn't ever had to study. So he wasn't studying too much for the LSAT test. And so I picked up his books one day. And as a mother, I'm thinking he really needs to study more for this LSAT test because it's so important for the rest of his life Right. But he's not going to listen to me. And when I was looking at the book, I figured, well, this is just logic. That's what technology has been. And so I went to him, knowing he's competitive, and said, You know, Josh, I bet I could beat you on the LSAT test. He's like, What? You know, no way. <laughs> I said, Yeah, I bet I could beat you. So he was like, All right, bring it on. <laughs> and so we both went. And we took the LSAT test and uh, we got our scores, and I beat him by one point. Oh what a blow i'm telling you (laughs) and now worst part he's got to listen to this for the rest of his life right (laughs) and now we're memorializing it too but uh he was like no way you know do over we got to do this again he was not going to let that be his legacy and (laughs) so i said fine i didn't have anything to lose and uh so that time he studied I studied, we went, we took the LSAT test and we both got higher scores, but I still beat him by one point. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And uh, I do take a lot of pride in that because he's a lot more intelligent than me, but uh, pride that I got him to study and pride that he improved his grades. And a little bit of ego that I beat him by one point. <laughs> yeah, but it's also mom pride. For all right. of us. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. Because, you know, at 50, I was wondering like, could I still learn something? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, law school started offering me a free scholarship. And I was I, was, I don't want to go to law school. I was just trying to get him to study. Right. Several law schools were sending me free scholarships and um, courting me, so to speak. And one of them came from Southern Illinois, which is where my brother was living at the time, trying to raise a granddaughter um, on his own. And my mother lived around there. So I felt like this was God giving me the two by four. It was more than a nudge that, you know, I really needed to go and do this, but I didn't know why. And I could think of every kind of law that I did not want to practice, but not any kind of law I did want to practice. So I went, but I was kind of kicking and screaming, you know, the whole time. I'm not gonna do contract law. I'm not gonna work with criminals, you know. (laughs) I'm not gonna do X, Y, Z. But I got there and I volunteered at an elder law clinic that they had. And as soon as I was there, the very first day, I knew this is what I'm there for. This is what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. um, it, It was just overwhelming. Everything that I've done since then has fallen into place mm. because I got out of the way. Yes. Let God lead, which yes. I have never done before. Yes. And it was a, a new experience. I still try to take over every once in a while, but <laughs> gosh, myself, I try to back up. Yes. But his His plan was so much better than anything I could have ever thought of and uh, has worked out to provide me so much more joy and um, satisfaction than I could have ever gotten any other time or way that I ever thought of. So Mm -hmm. it's worked out great. Oh, that is so good,
0: Cindy. And I'm glad you shared that with our listeners because like you said, Josh was 18 and I know you have an older daughter and she was already grown. And now it's Cindy's time. You've done the work. You've you've been faithful and continue to be faithful, but it's Cindy's time. And like I said, that's one of the things that we promote to our listeners that empty nesters don't have to be sad. You know, no. start planning <laughs> your future to have fun. I'm already planning. I, I think I'm gonna here. start after graduation. <laughs> Right. the day after graduation. Yes. <laughs> okay. So we'll get back with that when that happens. Cause right now I'm just talking that talk. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll start on the plan. <laughs> okay. Okay. So my next one is, I know death is something that many of us don't want to talk about. And we don't want to talk about funerals and it's scary and things like that. So, But I can see where this is needed. And the emphasis I want to make is the planning is what we do in between, because one of the statements you made, you said, we all we plan for death. We plan for life because we know it's coming. We plan for death, but we don't plan for the in between before death. Most of us don't just drop and die. There is a a sickness, some some shorter than others, period of time, and we may need some type of care during that time, and we don't plan for that. So uh, a lot of us get stuck in what is known as the sandwich generation, (laughs) like myself. So talk about that and talk about some of the benefits of planning for the sandwich generation.
1: Sure. And thanks for bringing that up. So let me explain the sandwich generation for anyone that hasn't heard of it. So what it is, is it's people in the middle that still have a child or children at home, that they're trying to raise and help those children to become independent, you know, contributing to society adults. But at the same time, something that they didn't think about was their parents are also needing care at this time. So the parents are becoming less independent as the children are trying to be independent. And it's this group of people that are stuck in the middle and pulled um, in different directions in some ways and squished by the responsibility in other ways So I never thought that when I was in my 50s or 60s, I didn't plan for having to take care of anybody else. Right. Because I thought, well, my children are going to be raised by that time. Hopefully they're going to be out of the house and they are. And I thought, like you said, you know, this was my time. Right. Um, But in reality, many of us have found that when we, hardly get to it or don't even get there just see it on the horizon right. and then our parents need help right and so if if they if we can all plan for that if we can all recognize that that's what happens that we don't just die I mean, yes, some people do, but the majority of us just don't pass away in our sleep or fall over and die. Right. We actually get sick for a period of time first. Mm-hmm. And that illness, one, is expensive. Right. And you have to plan for who's going to provide that care. And if you plan for it, you can really maintain your independence and your dignity so much better than if you don't plan for it. Mm. None of us wants any of our children to perform personal hygiene things on us, right? Right. right. God forbid. But if we don't have a plan, then all of a sudden something's (gasps) gonna have to give, somebody's gonna have to do something because it'll end up being in what we call a crisis mode. And then it has to be done right away But there isn't um, a plan. Nobody knows what the person wants. And so everybody's scrambling and there's a lot of emotion. If we could have that conversation ahead of time, and we really don't have to talk about death. We don't have to make it a gory, horrible conversation. But before we get ill is the time to think, okay, what kind of preferences do you have? You know, would you like to stay in your home? Which most people say, yes, they would. And okay, that's good. So what's the plan to provide care if you need that in your home and who's gonna pay for it? Because it is very expensive. So have you saved up enough money? Because if you don't have a plan, it's just a fantasy. You gotta have a plan for it to really work out that way. And if you haven't saved up money, chances are, you're not gonna be able to stay in your home unless you really impact your children's lives. Mm. And Jacqueline, I know that you did this and I know you wouldn't want it any other way. We love our parents, we want to give them the best care. But at the same time, that has a huge impact on the child's life when they have to care for us and it wasn't planned. Right. And had I known
0: some, as I've learned from you, which I want you to share with my listeners more specifics. So my children were young. First of all, we're having, a lot of us are having children later in life. So that means that, that our parents, when it's time for us to be in that sandwich generation is happening sooner than we think as far as our children spending time with their grandparents. You know, I have two moms and two dads and one of my mom passed at 59 and the other one passed at like 63. Mm -hmm. So I was there, I really had to give up my life because my mom needed so much care and it was very hard. And, you know, I did have other siblings to to come in and and help uh, when they could and when it got really, really tough. But I was, like you said, in the middle. And there was my mother needed full time care, and she said, "I'd rather die than go to a nursing home." So I was there to provide for her and to care for her. But it was a full time job along with my my two small children. I was homeschooling a child and um, a, another child on my hip. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now I don't want to make it all sad because it was fun and it was good because my children had access to their grandmother. It was good because I was going through a separation and we had a roof over our head. But it was a lot of work. And had I known some of the things that you know, I would have had money to pay someone to come in and help me without having to take it out of our pockets. Will you talk about that? Some of the benefits that are offered? Because she planned. I mean, she had, like I said, she had a will. She had great insurance she had great retirement fund, but she also had a lot of health expenses. Uh, Even with the great insurance, there were health expenses and a lot. And you still have to, people don't realize just because you sit, you still have to pay the mortgage. You still have to pay the light bill, the water bill, the gas bill. You still have to maintain a living. You still have to have food. So your money is still being used. So talk to our listeners about how we, we can live without having to deplete our savings. Here's what's coming up on part two of our discussion with attorney Cindy Nelson of Nelson Elder Care Law.
1: So there are benefits that are available to help you pay for care. And first, even if you're on Medicare, it doesn't pay for everything. It pays for medical things like going to the doctor or the hospital, although A lot of the policies have co-pays, but what it doesn't pay for is what's called activities of daily living. Mm. So these are the things that we need help with in order to live.